G'day everyone and welcome to episode 8 of the Battleforge Gaming Podcast presented by General Games. Now we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, today as always I'm joined by BFG Justin. Yeah, guys. And our special guest today is Glenn. Hey everyone. So uh, welcome boys, thanks for, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. My thank, thank you for having me. <laughs> thanks for coming Justin, <laughs> appreciate right. it as always. Uh, how you been going? How's the last two weeks treated you? Uh, yeah, holidays. It's been good. Haven't got as much done as I've wanted to, but I've been continuing work on the Blood Angels. Got that repulsor done finally, which... Looks good. Yeah, it was, it was a mission. That was an absolute mission. Those grav pads, they nearly got me, but... I was going to say, that was probably... It looked like a grind when you're doing the grav pads. Yeah, it was. But again, that's, that's always good to show the community. There's going to be some areas on models you don't overly love painting but i had the end goal in mind and uh that's what got me through yeah i think every model nowadays has so much detail there's always something you'll find yeah yeah i pity people who paint orcs because <laughs> yeah. not only do you have volume but you've got mm, all gene steeler cults they're yeah. uh, the number one army i yeah yeah i think they got a mention in the last podcast episode actually <laughs> yeah. yeah they're so tiny they're not worth many points and they have so many details yeah, yeah. lots of colors too yeah, yeah. But so yeah. I, th I think that's about it. I haven't managed to do any more work on the White Scar tutorial, but I did. I did put a lot of work in that in the uh, before holidays. So, and we've got we've got a, a tutorial in the, in the wings anyway with the Death Watch. So, how's your hobby been, Mike? You done any? No, no <laughs> not not at all. I've uh, I've been. Building a, a patio, so that's how my holiday's gone. Just more work, Dig, digging holes and concrete. Concrete, yeah. Which you uh, were nice enough to help me out with the day. Oh, that day, man, so warm, so yeah. many holes, so much concrete. <laughs> yeah, a lot of work. It's rough. Yep. I much prefer a hobby, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> feel that. And Glenn, thank you so much for joining us. This is our first time getting you on the podcast. Um, how yep. have you been? I've been good. Uh, I've been doing a bit of building. Uh, I have done some painting, but that was to my deck as well. So I've been working on the house. Uh, so not much mini painting, uh, but I've been doing a bit of building at least to get ready for some painting. So fantastic! What uh, what army are you painting? Uh, uh, building, sorry. So I'm what you call in a hobby. The old term was a hobby butterfly. Uh, so I like to jump around to like five projects at a time. Uh, so in the last few days, I built some corn berserkers. Uh, I was working on some characters for Cities of Sigma, some of their new models. Um, What's going Something else in there as well. Here's some terrain the other day. So a bit of everything. Yeah, and you're probably held by that and the fact that you actually work at a hobby store. Yes. So access to models might be a little bit e easier than your average person. Yeah, it is, uh, which is good, but also it's risky because when you see models there every day, it's uh, pretty tempting just to like when a new model comes in just to grab it and uh, change your projects around. So yeah, that would be very dangerous for, for projects, wouldn't it? Dangerous for the wallet. <laughs> Are any of the new stuff for a specific project at all, like tournament or anything like that? Uh, there's a few little ones. I was actually going to go up to CanCon um, in a few weeks. Initially, I'd end up having not be able to make it just from work commitments, but um, there's a few other friends who are going up still. Yeah. Um, so they're all going to play the 40K casual event. Um, most of them are pretty new 40K players. They've been playing less than three months. Um, so I was just putting together a few lists to kind of give them some practice games. Um, it's just a casual event, so they're meant to be kind of sillier lists. So just some, yeah, basic ones for that, 1,500 points. Um, but the next thing for me will probably be ARC. 
Yeah. Um, I know they've been announcing a lot of stuff. Um, I was actually chatting to Dan, the organizer, the other day um, about some of the different things going on there. So I'll probably be going to that, probably go for Age of Sigma, I'd say, but we'll see. It'll probably change by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still a few months away. Yeah. Arc sounds like it's just going to be huge. Yeah. Like, just from what they were essentially just being like one of the larger 40K tournaments in Australia to now having a, a painting competition, Age yeah. of Sigma. We had Kieran on. He was talking about the Zone Mortalis for Heresy. For heresy uh, so. Infinity as well now. They're doing that. So, yeah. Um, Crazy. I used to work with Dan who actually organized, organizes Arc now. Um, I won't say too much, but he has some big plans over the next few years. I think he wants it to be the next big Australian tournament rivaling like, you know, CanCon and those other big ones. So... Well, Keep maybe, an eye on that over the next few years. Maybe we'll have to get Dan on and he yeah. can uh, tell us himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so as I, as I may have mentioned, you, you do work at a hobby store. You work for General Games, actually. Yep, uh, General Games at a Churnside Park store, so just around the corner from here. Uh, so I've been the manager there. Uh, the store's been open just over a year and I've been the manager for about the last eight months. So I came on, so yeah. Fantastic. Man, it's yeah. been a year already. Yeah, just over. The anniversary was uh, start of uh, end of October, I think it was. So yeah, just over a year. That's crazy. Like, mm. I... I remember going and getting grilled with a couple of my my hobby friends and we went down. That's when I saw General Games and it doesn't feel like it was a year ago. It's, yeah, a bit insane. It's flown by. But yeah, we've been, uh, we've been lucky enough, Justin, to chat with Glenn and, and chat with the, the owner, Ryan, uh, and, and the eagle-eyed BFG fans will have noticed on all the thumbnails now or soon to be, we'll have the presented by... General Games logo on there, yeah. Uh, because we've partnered with them, as as Battleforge Gaming now partnering with General Games to uh, grow this podcast and provide giveaways and and they're supporting us in that way. Yep. So um, the 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 eyes haven't been dotted and the T's haven't been crossed, but it is good news for the BFG community as a whole, and I think General Games as well. 100%. Because, um, I mean, after chatting with Ryan for a bit. It seems like we've got very similar goals in mind, like our um, visions our and values. Visions and values align yeah. pretty well. So, being able to motivate and and grow the hobby community is is number one. Absolutely, yeah. I think the best thing you can do for any hobby, you know, obviously whether it's tabletop mini games for us or whether you're into racing cars, fishing, whatever it is, if you can grow the community in any way, then it's a positive thing. Like the bigger your hobby gets, the more people involved, the more fun it got, is. Yeah, more people to play with, with against in this game. Um, there's more resources then. People are making more stuff. It's just always a good thing. 100%. And, yeah, on that note, like General Games being our local hobby store, we've, as you said, it's, only, it's been around for a year now. From the moment Justin and I walked in there, it was a, a very welcoming, clean, friendly, safe environment that we just now go to for all of our hobby stuff. Yep. It's, it's that easy. Even if it wasn't the closest hobby store, it would still be the store I'm travelling to. They do have two other stores, so it isn't just the Churnside Park yep. store. There's also Frankston and Malvern, so yeah. depending where you live out here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, super exciting news, which we won't, we won't go into too much detail for, but uh, on the horizon this year for Churnside Park is you guys are moving into what's, what's going to be called an epic-level store. Yeah, so we're moving to literally next door uh, to what used to be the old River store, if anyone knows that. Uh, it's three times the size. So it's, yeah, going to be great. Uh, we're going to have a bunch of war game tables permanently set up. Um, obviously, we'll have lots of more tables for card gamers and those things as well. Um, we'll be able to run some 
big tournaments going forward. So currently our cap for mini tourneys is like 12 players. Um, we'll be able to run like 40-plus player events, which will be great. And, um, yeah, do up some cool tables and that for it. Yeah, exactly. Very, very excited. I love, I love a, a themed board. I, I put a lot of work into my miniatures and I love putting them on a, a board that's got just as much love on it. It, um, it really immerses you in a game. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, there's nothing better than a game on a fully nicely painted board with beautifully painted armies. It's Yeah, yeah. and having that as our, our local hobby store will just be such a blessing, I think. That's going to be unreal to be able to just go down to Churnside Park and, and have dedicated hobby tables, beautiful display tables, and obviously you, you, you and all the other friendly people down at General Games, it's going to be... It's going to be awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm pumped for it. It's, yeah, very exciting times. Hopefully, it shouldn't be too far away. Uh, it's kind of like the worst kept secret because uh, it hasn't officially been announced, but, you know, it pretty much has. Um, so, yeah. That's all right. I don't think anyone else will tell them. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> uh, it should be hopefully about March. So, we're aiming before Easter, but um, obviously, things can happen. So, hopefully yeah. soon. And, yeah, hopefully, we'll get to walk through soon uh, around the opening time and get to show everyone what it looks like. Cause yeah. We're very, very excited to, to check it out. Well, I won't have to play on the, uh, the kitchen table anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Lockie will have somewhere else to go. Oh, yeah, he'll be down there all the time. Yeah, definitely. And from the Battleforge gaming perspective, it opens up a whole bunch of windows with this, a uh, bunch of doors with this partnership. We can We're, go through the window as well. Yeah, all the window, yep. probably the doors are the safest. <laughs> but uh, yeah, talking about running painting classes or. Um, even doing battle reports from the store yeah, 100%. would be just so much fun and such a cool environment to do it in. So, yeah, massive, massive news. Yeah, well, that was something we had thrown the idea out there with, battle reports and the, and the painting classes. But now with potentially a dedicated space, like, again, all the details haven't been filled in. But, yeah, exciting. Not having to... Um, personally paint some tables up yeah i love painting <laughs> terrain but uh it's a pain to store so yeah. being able to just paint stuff take it down to the store and leave it there is yeah i was i was running out of room in the house anyway <laughs> let alone having to like paint up three or four boards and then be like hmm where do i keep all this yeah so that uh that pretty much covers it for our our latest announcement um it's probably a good time for me to mention for those we, we might just touch on because we haven't got all the details sorted yet we are sorting out links for our community to be able to be directed to the website for general games. That's going to be the best way to support both general games and battle forge gaming. We'll, we'll let you guys know more once we've got it all sorted. I do have a link in our link tree for general games website. So yeah. you, you can click on that and that'll be the best way to, to support. Yeah. And you'll find those links popping up all across the battle forge gaming socials, whether it's, your personal, your 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 BFG Instagram, the Battleforge Gaming Podcast Instagram, TikTok, um, and YouTube. The website, yeah, the, the Battleforge Gaming website. We'll you guys have, are all over it. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. yeah, we love we love the social media. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to do it, don't you? You got to do it. Yeah, it'd be a it'd be a pretty quiet podcast if we didn't do it. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, those will be the links you can use to to go to go to general general games, which will be fantastic because. Hopefully we can we can grow with with the store and and really have a have a, a really tight knit core community. Yep. The big um, thing I'm hoping store. for is that it's not just our Victorian community. Hopefully it's the Australia wide that would like to support General Games. Um, yep. You can get your stuff shipped. 
obviously you get pretty excited when it comes to pre-orders and stuff like that. But um, yeah, if if you're if you're willing to wait with the shipping times, that'd be cool if people could just yeah yeah. And obviously, as we grow as well, we'll be running obviously larger tournaments. So, uh, chance people if you know come from interstate and that once we start building them up, building up the prestige for them, so start running some you know both casual narrative and some more competitive events for you guys. So, and that's and that's got to be the highlight for me for chatting to you and, and Ryan as well. It's just such a community-focused um, store. Like, you guys truly understand that without the community, the store wouldn't succeed. Yeah. And that's, that's such a great, great mindset to have. And it's like, instantly the first thing Ryan wanted to talk about us was, was the area he was going to have for the hobby tables and the gaming tables. And that just shows where the priorities are, which is really nice to see. Yeah, it's definitely a passion, obviously, we'll and I'll chat about kind of my background, but like I've done Warhammer a long time. Ryan's also been doing a long time. We've both worked for GW in the day. So, you know, it's something we uh, are passionate about still. So, yeah, fantastic. That was a perfect segue. You segued <laughs> yourself. Yeah. I uh, didn't even mean to. Yeah. <laughs> so now the reason we're all really here <laughs> is you, you, Glenn. So, how long have you been hobbying for? It makes me feel old. Uh, it's been about 20 years now. So, I uh, started when I was just a kid in like early high school. Um, one of my mates from school came over to my house one day. He'd been around to the shops, Chadson Shopping Centre it was back in the day when he was still inside there. Um, and he showed me these models that were Space Marines and I had no idea what they were, but I thought they were the coolest thing in the world. Um, ended up going down to the store, did the whole intro thing there, bought a box of Corn Berserkers, which were the same models up until a few months ago. Weren't they? Oh, my <laughs> God. I was maybe one of the only people who was sad to see them leave because I just had nostalgia for them. But... Um, Yes. So that was your there. first. That was the first models you first bought. First models I ever bought were the uh, yeah box of the eight man box of corn berserkers that were on the shelf for years. So why, why is it always someone's friend introduces them to the hobby? Why yeah. is it why I have we've yet to speak to someone who is like I found it by myself and I introduced all my friends to it. Yeah, <laughs> I think Alex might have been that way, but yeah, I like I was secondhand hobby. You Mark introduced hobby. me basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. From working at game stores, you see it. It's usually one person finds out, they just tell all their friends, they bring them all in, and you get a whole new group of people. So. Yeah, that's cool. There you go. So, yeah, Corn Berserkers. Corn Berserkers. So, yeah, I would have been probably 12, 14 at the time. Uh, had no idea how to paint. Um, they were. I'm sure they'd be horrible if I look back on them now. But um, You still yeah, so you still have some of the original stuff? Or were you I, like me and got rid of it? I don't have them. Uh, I do have... My oldest model I still own is a uh, the Dwarf Leader from the Battle for Skull Pass, which is an old fantasy star set, uh, which I actually painted up when I applied to work for Games Workshop, which was a few years later. Uh, one of my first kind of full-time jobs. Um, applied for Games Workshop after annoying them for a job for a few years. Um, and they, yes, yeah, said paint up a model, bring it down, do a little interview. Um, so I painted up, yeah, the Dwarf character from Skull Pass, and I still have him floating around. So... It's so a cool little nostalgia piece I hold on to. That is, that is awesome. Here's my resume. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. It was like, here's a paper resume. They don't even bother looking at it. Um, but yeah, they looked at the model and you, I remember the kind of interview process still. You kind of do a fake intro game, run people, tend to run people through in that. So oh, cool. It's a, it's a so fun they're interview. Testing, they're testing your understanding of the game. 100%. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting company to work for. So <laughs> There you go. That's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it is. It's weird. They get a bad rep. I'm going to be honest. Like, I worked there. I was pretty young. I started working there full time when I was 19. Um, I worked there for about six years. Um, I mean, I was pretty young. Maybe I was naive, but it was a great company to work for back then. So yeah, yeah. you just you do all your day was doing hobbies. So can't ask for something much better, really. <laughs> Did you when you got those uh, 
Corn Berserkers, were you painting them up to play your mate, basically? Was that pretty um, much? At the time, like, to be honest, I was, didn't really know too much about the game. Um, we kind of played a bit. This would have been probably third edition, I think it would have been. Um, maybe fourth. But, yeah, we kind of didn't know the rules too much. Um, we didn't want to go out and buy books. We just wanted to play the game. So we kind of did an intro game. I think we ended up making up most of the rules ourselves. So it would have been a horrible mess. <laughs> um, People yeah. still do that now. 100%. At tournaments. I've seen yeah. it. They make their stuff up. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like we played some games, but I don't. We definitely made a mess of the rules. It was more just you know, for us, it wasn't about being competitive or anything. It was just about having fun with friends. Cool. Um, and I think that's just the thing that still sticks with me today. Like I've I've been to lots of tournaments. I've placed well at some. I've gone shocking at others. Um, I've won a few painting awards, different things. But at the end of the day, it's the fun of just hanging out, chatting with like-minded people. So, yeah, hundred percent. Like. Not too dissimilar to what we're doing right now. 100%. <laughs> yeah. But the, so, yeah. The social aspect, that's what yeah. it's about. Especially as you get older, I think, when it's harder to, like, chat to people. Having a hobby where you can just sit there and talk and, you know, paint at the same time or play a game as well, it's just great. So, Yeah, fantastic. And then, so, you obviously continued the hobby from that point? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, obviously so when I was about 14. Played kind of pretty consistently or collected at least. Bought lots of models. Uh, painted them shockingly, <laughs> played the odd game here or there, um, continued doing that, had a few friends I kind of met throughout it, um, kind of went into later high school, I was able to do a bit more, um, and yeah, kind of did it for probably about five years, and, you know, finished school, did a few bits, like some casual jobs, um, came time to get, you know, a full-time job, and I thought, what better place to go than Games Workshop, I knew all the staff, I went there pretty frequently, um, yeah, ended up chatting to them, they were looking at the time, um, ended up working at the Melbourne store, what used to be in Melbourne Central. Uh, so, yeah, started there kind of about 2009-ish when I would have been about 19. So Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, you fell in love with the hobby that much that so you're like... 100%. If I'm going to have to work somewhere every day, why not, why yep. not where I spend all my jump time? Jump all the way, deep hole, jump all the way in. So Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> Did you find uh, prior to working for Games Workshop that you were so involved in the hobby anyway that you were just naturally growing a, a like a group a group of hobbyists around you? Um, a little bit. Um, I found, like, for me personally, it was a bit hard for me to get to places. Um, so I couldn't go to really clubs. I'd go to the store, but mainly just to play games. I didn't really, oh, like, sorry, I should say, I didn't really go to play many games. I do the odd event, but um, it was very casual. I mainly just did it with friends at my house or their house. Yeah. Um, so, like, I wasn't super involved with the community kind of aspect. Um, it wasn't really until I started working for Games Workshop that um, I got a bit more involved, started going to tournaments and really getting involved in the community and clubs and that kind of thing. Yeah, nice one. And then when you, when you got into Games Workshop, did that change your perspective on the, on the hobby at all, being um, like right in the centre of it? it? It does a bit. Like when you're doing it every day, obviously you can get, you know, you love it, it's awesome, you can get a bit burnt out sometimes and, you know, talking about it all the time. But I think most people coming in are also excited. So it kind of keeps your energy up. You can feed off that. Yeah, 100%. That excitement. And like, it was a bit bif- different back then. Like now, obviously, Games Workshop's gone to kind of the one-man stores, at least in Australia. Um, so you kind of, I don't know if I'd like to work there now where you're spending a lot of time by yourself. Um, back then, there was always a few people on. They were busy. These were in, you know, shopping center days. So it was always busy. Like I remember back in Chadston during Christmas, there'd be days where you'd run 40 different kids through an intro game of how to play it. So it kept you always, you know, excited and passionate about the hobby um and back then as well there was also a lot of you had to do a lot of um painting for the store so we had what was called back then with black boxes 
so then they just do a release once a month. It's not the weekly re- yeah. releases you see now. Yeah. It's a bit more chill. Um, so once a month you get this black box, just a cardboard box, which would have all the new releases in. So you'd pretty much have to crack it open and paint all these models. So it was, it was great because you got to paint all the new stuff. Um, if you weren't overly interested in new stuff, it wasn't as exciting. Yeah. Um, and obviously you had some pretty hard deadlines, but you know, it was still painting models. You're still having fun. So Yeah, that's cool. That's did, did doing that uh, part of the job, painting the black boxes, did that take away from your own hobby or were you still motivated to do your own stuff? It definitely it goes in ebbs and flows. So if I had an event on or something like that where I was excited for, I'd still be keen. Um, sometimes, especially if there was a big release, like starter sets were usually the killer part. Uh, obviously, they had lots of models in. Yeah. I remember when, like, I think it was Battle of Skull Pass came out of one of those old fancy ones. There was, like, 110 models in the set box. So that <laughs> takes a while to get through, um, and those can certainly burn you out a bit. Um, but, yeah, as I said, back then, because you had a few staff, you could break it up a bit. And Yeah, it wasn't a one-man store having to paint. Yeah, the, uh, it was a bit of a different feel back then. So The, um, the Leviathan box. Yeah, doing them solos, a whole different thing, so... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it definitely gets you quick at painting as well. So you kind of learn what, I mean, before speed paints were a thing or that, you kind of had to learn how to speed paint. So how to just do quick highlights on models. um, Yeah, how to get them to, you know, a good playable standard, make them look kind of, you know, box art-like as quick as possible. So Yeah. Was that eye-opening for you, that that style of It was. Like, I was not a great painter before I started. Yeah. like I said back then, there was no one doing it professionally. You know, you didn't really have YouTubers who spend 12 hours a day painting that you could watch and learn from. So if you want to <laughs> learn, yeah, if you want to learn, you had to just do it yourself. Um, you had like White Dwarf had their little guides, but they were hit or miss. Um, and like even the paints themselves, like back when I started, the Citadel range was about the only range of paints you could get. Yeah, and, and they the, had like 80 paints. And the quality varied yeah 100% like we had I grew up with the old inks the shiny ones that were like had the black lids and uh, even some of the old ones are white screw top lids that you know you put that on a model and just make it shiny it wouldn't really do anything yeah so compared to now where it's just so easy to paint like you know with contrast and all the speedways airbrushings everywhere now you can knock an army in a weekend now whereas back then you had to do it you know the basic way of you know put a base coat down wash it, panel it, highlight it, and it's just a slow process. So, And a lot of the paints were just thin, so you'd have to do lots of coats. So, <laughs> Mike's I, just, I'm just like, this is just describing Justin's process <laughs> yeah. to the tea. Like, and even, <laughs> like, there weren't many brands of paint around. Like, you get, it was just Citadel. You could maybe find a bit of Tamiya stuff, but they were hard. Um, you know, that was about it. So now, if you know, if you don't like a Citadel paint, you can go and find a Vallejo paint. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, an so Army painter. Or there's 20 different ones, you know. So you can always find a paint you need now. Um, whereas back then it was just, that was what you had, especially painting stuff for the store. You could only use the Games Workshop paint, obviously. So trying to paint it to their standard with their tools and all that could definitely be tricky sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, you definitely improved my painting. It's why I think why I'm now a pretty competent painter is definitely having to paint every day, you get good. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I guess you just, you get used to that quantity of painting as well, I guess. So yes. you, you would have a, such a high such a high level, like you wouldn't particularly, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine you getting overwhelmed after dealing with something no, like that. No, it was interesting. I went to a, a Horace Heresy tournament uh, like three months ago. Um, could absolutely smash it. It went horrible. But um, <laughs> had an army, I painted Imperial Fist Army and I painted the army in about a week. Um, yeah. And I mean, it, my, you know, don't want to brag or anything, it looked decent. Um, it's, you know, pretty quick and easy. It's using airbrush and contrast paints over Zenithols and that. 
Um, but got a lot of compliments for it. And I think the thing was I looked at it as just a single kind of model almost. I went, you know, I had 40 odd guys, but I kind of sort of went, cool, I'll just batch paint them. And I'm used to doing that style where I can knock out 10 Marines is fine. I'm not going to paint a single model one at a time. Um, so painting, you know, even a 3000 point heresy army wasn't as daunting as it would be for most people. So. Yeah, I'm anxious just think, <laughs> thinking about having to paint 3,000 yeah. points. So you kind of, I guess mentally it helps like, yeah, I look at that and like it was a big army. So it was about 40 Marines. I think it was 10 Termies in there. I think I had like seven tanks. So like it was a decent army, but using, you know, I mean, airbrushes and contrast paints do half your work anyway. Um, and was able to yeah, get it done to a pretty competent standard in a short time, just kind of approaching it like that. I, I, I just feel like chat might be laughing at me because I spend... <laughs> Five five days painting a single marine, yeah. <laughs> and Glenn's like, I just painted three thousand points in a yeah, week. <laughs> I'm definitely, you know, definitely a speed painter. Um, I've played a few of back against Justin back in the days of playing games at um, the Ringwood Games Workshop back, you know, before COVID times when you could play the little tournaments I used to run there. Yeah, often I'd kind of knock up an army in a few weeks. Um, so yeah, definitely, yeah, speed painting can help once you learn a few tricks and just kind of accept where to spend the time and where you can kind of skip. So. Well, you can see that in um, the general the general game store in Churnside Park. Yeah. Majority of the armies, if not all of them. I think all of them currently, yeah. <laughs> uh, are, your, are your armies in the cabinets? So uh, we, we were there, not yesterday, yesterday, the day before. So, yeah, we're just like, is that yours? And you're like, yep, is that yours? Yeah. Yep. Some of them are quite old, to be fair. So, like, there's a few armies where there's a bit of a joke in the store. Um, we've got one of our young casuals. She's only 16. Um, there's a few armies in the cabinet that are actually older than her. Uh, <laughs> so it makes me feel a bit old. But, um, yeah, when you do the hobby long enough, you end up with lots of armies. So. It's experienced. Yeah. Experienced. <laughs> no, that's crazy. Hey, I get called dad on stream, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> Usually it's from guys that are the same age as you are. <laughs> um, maybe. No. <laughs> yeah, you become a veteran of the hobby after you do it long enough as well. So. Uh, and it also, I think it's a thing like, I've, well, I've done it for, you know, 20 odd years. I've done it pretty consistently for most of that time. So there's been very few times I've had more than six months away from the hobby. Um, you know, we'll go on to even after I left Games Workshop, um, I kind of decided to leave there, went to uni for a bit, um, ended up getting a job at um, another game store, another independent store where I worked for about six years. Um, and the whole time I was kind of the main Warhammer person there. Um, so again, painting stuff for them and doing all that and kind of being heavily involved still in the community so it's yeah pretty much the last you know majority of the last 20 years i've been pretty actively involved throughout it so which is pretty amazing when you think about it to be that consistent with the hobby for that that amount of time is it's pretty pretty unheard of because obviously life like juddy's mentioned before in previous episodes life can really get in the way and the hobby's often yep. the first thing to go yeah it is i think it's been i've been pretty lucky um you know my partner's always been supportive of it which helps um, even like I've got a four-year-old daughter, um, so obviously that can take a lot of time. Um, <laughs> but I'm still able to, you know, sneak in some painting when she goes to bed and do little bits here and there to find time when you can. Um, yeah, even after I left the, that independent store, I ended up just working at the Ringwood, um, what's now the Warhammer store, as just a casual, just kind of helping out there. So kind of always able to keep fairly involved. Uh, I think one of the good parts about working for Games Workshop is they do train you really well. Um, so kind of... It's that thing, once you've worked there, you can kind of work any retail job and you have a really good base of knowledge so you can kind of step in and do a good job. So Yeah. yeah. So your core, like, customer service skills and stuff like that yeah, that they 100%. teach you? Yeah, um, 100%. Like, anyone who works in retail, if you're a manager and you're looking at hiring someone, they've worked at Games Workshop, it's usually a pretty good place. So, yeah, they do they train their staff very well. So 
That's fantastic. There's um you mentioned the your four year old daughter. Did do you have you shown the hobby? She's off? seen bits she and pieces. Interested um, in that yet? She's yeah, she's um well, my partner as well is also very uh, hobby focused. She's very into sewing and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um so our daughter's pretty much surrounded by hobbies of various types twenty four seven. So if it's not painting, it'll be sewing or something yeah. else. So she's got options. A hundred percent. So <laughs> she's definitely keen on everything. She loves art and drawing, so I'm sure once she gets a little bit older, she'll be uh, picking up a paintbrush. So yeah. I'll just start teaching her young, try and get into those, you know, junior painting contests and that. Yeah. So <laughs> Whatever project you're working on at the time. Yeah, maybe I won't have to worry about painting my infantry. I'll just get her to do the boring parts. So yeah. I can just worry about the characters. So. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. That's why you have kids, right? Exactly. Free labor. <laughs> you could learn something from this, Justin. <laughs> Me? <laughs> I don't think I have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, so after... Was it was Games Workshop sort of your first time when you started looking into the tournament scene? The yeah, gaming, pretty the gaming much. Side of um, it? Yeah, so when I was at Games Workshop, I obviously started looking at tournaments. Um, I worked with Dan, who I mentioned earlier, who runs Ark. He was a very active tournament player. Um, he's got a you know big name. The other guys I was working with also are pretty active. Um, so it's kind of through them I got into it more. Um, I was never a diehard tournament player. I always liked running thematic lists and more silly stuff. Um, but yeah, I did obviously start attending tournaments pre-regularly, kind of tried to get to one every three months at least. Wow. Um, kind of then started helping run some as well. Um, yeah, just as people needed help because they knew I've done a bit before and was kind of involved, I just jump in, whether it be helping on a day, you know, paint like doing painting scores and that kind of thing I did a fair bit of, or comp scores with army lists, um, or just kind of helping a bit of painting beforehand, getting tables ready and that kind of thing. So, nice. yeah, it was kind of lucky that I met a lot of people who run events and were great so i was able to help them really so was it looking back to those first days in the tournament scene was it i can only imagine because i'm only coming back into it recently was it a pretty tight-knit crew of, of who regularly showed up and it who organized was it? um it's a bit like you look at some of the smaller games so like i've also played virtually every model game that's come out over the last little while so games like infinity and war machine and all those other ones i've kind of tried um i think back you know 15 years ago Warhammer was more like those because it didn't have the mass appeal it does now. You don't have people like Henry Cavill talking about it on giant YouTube channels and that. So, like, it wasn't as well known. Um, so it was a bit more tight-knit. I think there's a lot more, a lot less people who actually ran events. Um, it was kind of the same people who ran the same events every year. Um, so, like, Ark famously had the same group of guys who ran it every year for, like, 10-odd years. Um, and you see the same thing for the other tournaments. It'll be the same guys running the events over and over a um, bit of like an old guard kind of feel. Yeah. Um, whereas now a lot of other people have kind of jumped in and stepped up, which has been awesome because there's just so many people doing it now. So. Well, at some point, someone was going to have to step up, you know. You, I don't, you can't be running the same tournament 10 years in yeah, a row. Yeah, that's it. And like it was kind of a bit of, I think, a few of the older guys kind of just aged out of it, which you just see in all games. Like I've seen as well, you know, working game stores with card games as well. Um, you always need to be recruiting new people. And you got... Yeah, lots of new people who were excited and wanted to help grow the hobby. Like, in my opinion, the best thing you can do for any hobby is just grow it. Yeah. Uh, if you can inspire others and help it grow, like, it's just a win. So, yeah, totally. Do you have? Um, I've actually wanted to ask a few people this since uh, since doing the podcast. Do you want to ask me? No, no. I know. I know. <laughs> I, know that you're, I know you're happy, guys. <laughs> I was just wondering. Do you have like a go-to unit that you love to paint? Um. Don't know about unit. Usually I like the kind of chunkier infantry. So things like Terminators, um, they're usually my go-tos because, like, they're just fun in games. They're usually good for armies because they chew up your points pretty well. 
Um, you can have a bit of fun with them. They've usually got lots of detailing. So in terms of, from my background, in terms of speed painting, you can usually paint them pretty quickly to a good level yeah. um, because they have enough. There's not too many open surfaces where you kind of can get exposed by doing quick techniques. Um, it's not like, you know, these Imperial Knights, if you leave those shoulder pads blank, they're going to look a bit dull. Um, whereas Termes, you can get away with doing those kind of things, like speed painting them to a level and still make them look really good. And just fun, like big chunky dudes that just cool on tabletop. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's what about me. I know yours. Yours is a space marine. No, mine. Mine's a battle line. I love battle oh. line. Yeah, any almost any army with battle line. So whether it's intercessors or assault intercessors for space marines, if I was to do tyranids, I really like termagants and hormagants. There's just something that I like about your stock standard battle line. <laughs> Uh, um, which is weird because I spend so long painting models. You'd be like, "Oh, why, yeah, why, why don't you like the elite units like like Glenn?" I just I love Battleline. <laughs> Battleline, oh. it's honestly the best answer. If you like Battleline, then you'll like painting anything because yeah. usually that's the part which new players always want to get him. Like I've obviously been you know working with new players for fifteen odd years. The part that they always you know they'll buy their army, they'll paint up that first character, and then they'll look at that sea of grey infantry, and that's the part we're always like, ah. Oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It can be it can be very intimidating, but it yeah. just I don't know something about your stock standard guy. Uh, often think they get overlooked, underrated. They, they used to be used to have to build a formation, which is something I want to chat about later. You used to have to build around your battle line. You had to take minimum mm. of your battle line. You, you don't need to do that whatsoever, yeah. and they get overlooked even more. But quite often they've got really really good rules in in this edition. You get more objectives secured on your battle line troops. So the game is about objectives and getting victory points. So if you've got your battle line near a, uh, an objective, most of the time you're going to hold it. So, and intercessors, they have sticky, very underrated rule. Yeah. So yeah, it's one of the things I think you've seen, in, I'll jump forward a bit, but in game design, definitely now you've seen to move away from mandatory battle line units. Um, even like, I mean, they bring it back a little bit with the new Old Hammer, uh, the Warhammer Fantasy reboot kind of thing. Um, but back in a day of old fantasy, you had to have a certain percentage of your army had to be battle line. So I think it was like 25% and stuff. You only have X amount of rarer stuff. Um, I think they've kind of realized now, games, actually, I should say when I say this, but um, most people like the big fancy stuff. Yeah. That's why they've moved away from that. So you can run a whole army of dreadnoughts or sanguinary guard or whatever you want to do. So Yeah, who are they to stop you buying the more exactly. expensive stuff? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's worked it's, it's work for them. So. 100%. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean... Aesthetically and thematically, limiting people to running X amount of battle line would make sense. But then from a business perspective and then, you know, people do what they want. So Yeah, it's interesting. Like you read obviously all the books like about Space Marines. They have these well-constructed armies with formations and you look at an army on a table and it's usually the polar opposite. So Yeah, yeah. It's just whatever the person likes to look of. Which yeah. Is, you know, that's the hobby. They, they may have prevented people from having to take them, but it hasn't prevented them from putting intercessors in every combat patrol box they have. That's true. They still <laughs> so have to sell them. You may not want them, but you're going to have some. <laughs> yeah, they spend the money on making the sprues. I remember back in the day, they, you know, saying how much the, back in the day, I remember the sprues used to apparently cost a million dollars to make a new kit was a number they used oh, to the throw pr around. the press or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, by the time they make the, the press and the moulds and, you know, I'm sure paying for all the artists to design them. Um, so I mean you've got to sell them <laughs> oh, they'll, they'll make their money back in Australia for yeah, sure yeah. the Australia tax is, <laughs> is a thing for our international listeners <laughs> <laughs> and yeah uh, I mean obviously the, the hobby has progressed in such a way that it's 
just massive now. Like you were, t- you touched on earlier, like guys like Henry Cavill and you know people promoting the hobby that you never would have thought. And yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's a few years back, like when I was working there. So even when I was leaving it towards the end, so it'd be like 2012 kind of thing. It was kind of there's rumors of celebrities who'd play it. So I mean, it was a rumor of. Um, so there was a few kind of big names, um, Robin Williams and that, and um, a few kind of celebrities who were rumoured to play. Um, I remember once or twice we had some bands come in when I was working in a Melbourne store. Um, it's a few, like, usually metal bands, and that would come into the store when they were touring and around Melbourne would buy stuff, and it was this big event. Um, and now, yeah, you have people like Henry Cavill, um, like Ed Sheeran in one of his music videos, there's some, like, fire warriors and stuff. Like, you just see it everywhere. Yeah. Well, um, they, made their, they made their way to South Park. Yeah, it's on South Park. It was in uh, The Last of Us, the video game. There was like a like little painting studio set up at one of the levels. So, yeah. Must have missed that. I've played that game. That's so good. Yeah, it's a little uh, yeah, a little Easter egg nod in there. So. That's awesome. <laughs> it's sort of only just the beginning too because I, th- I feel like once the once Henry Cavill, and we, we're chatting about it a lot, so Henry, if you do hear this <laughs> podcast, <laughs> by, by all means, get in, get in contact with us. Um, once that series or movie or whatever it is is going to be on Amazon gets released and it starts to get pushed to the public not just not just hobbyists themselves because like it, it's getting funded fairly well so you imagine it's going to be a, a quality series that is just going to increase how many people come into the hobby hmm. because it's it's something that you we've seen more and more I guess with pop culture comics Marvel movies became the thing. People yep. went to see Marvel movies that weren't into comics at all when they were younger. But now all of a sudden, Marvel's cool. Yep. DC's cool. And, and, and now it's not that far off where Warhammer is going to be considered cool. Yep. You look at things like, you know, The Witcher or Game of Thrones, how huge they are. Yeah. Um, and also the Warhammer video games. So, like, I mean, Total War's huge. The new Space Marine game. It's going to be massive. That's going to be nuts. Yep. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's probably a good... A good time to talk about another segue. Another segue. They just they just smooth. keep coming. Yeah, it's <laughs> super smooth. Uh, yeah, how the how the hobby has changed since you first started because you're one of our few guests that's been around for been around it for so like so long, which is super impressive. The the sort of uh, customers and things you'd have coming now is that. Do you find that it's it's really, you've got guys that are. You're dancing around this a little bit, aren't you? I'm trying to think because I'm. Doesn't want to do a spicy comment. No, no, no. It's it's not that. It was more just like, is it more of a mainstream hobby now? Like the people you're coming in. varied. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's actually, I think (laughs) the ratio is actually pretty similar. So you'll see the same ratios of, you know, young kids playing, older guys. Um, A bit of the same kind of ratio. It's just more. Um, so, like, I think, I mean, obviously there are some more veterans now because people have just grown up with it. So people who, you know, started playing when they were teenagers or in their 20s are now older and they've got kids, they're starting to get them in. Um, so, but it's still, yeah, you'll still see, you know, those older guys, there'll still be kids. I think it's still a pretty wide variety of people. So I don't think yeah. the demographic has changed that much. Yeah. Um, I think a lot more people know about it. So, again, working in independent game stores, we get a lot of people coming in, you know, for ca- games like Magic the card game Magic Gathering or Pokemon, those kind of things. Um, back in the day, they'd walk past the Warhammer aisle and they'd be like, what's this? Whereas now they'll come in for their card games, guys who've never, you know, played or seen Warhammer, but they'll at least know what it is. They'll walk past and be like, ah, Space Marines. Yeah. You know, they'll know what they are. Yeah. So it's just, I think that's the main thing, but I think demographically it's not that different, at least in the areas that I've 
scene too in you yeah. know, Melbourne. So it's more about quantity as opposed to yeah. who's buying this. The, 100%. The stuff. And like I said, there's more tournaments and the tournaments are just bigger. Um, so like, you know, in Australia, we'll get 200 plus player tournaments, you know, ARCs, 200 players. Um, Age of Sigma at CanCon is they hit 220 odd players and sell out in like a day. So you'll just see those huge numbered events um, and just people desperate, especially, I mean, I think the bigger factor has probably been COVID over the last few years, you know. Once that ended, I think COVID saw a real boom in people painting and then now it's ended, people, you're seeing a real boom in people wanting to play events. They want to get out there and do things now. And looking back at those first tournaments you were involved in, what sort of numbers would you, would you think? Uh, back then, if you got 40 people, you'd be pretty happy. 60 would be huge. So, and now, you know, like I said, that Heresy event I played in um, a few months back, like Heresy is a smaller game system. It had, I think it was 40-ish people, um, but that sold out in two hours. Yeah, um, so it's getting 40 easily. Yeah, it's not even trying. Like, you know, if it had a larger venue and, you know, obviously more time and resource for the TOs, they could have got 60 people, you know, and still sold out in 24 hours. Yeah, which is, yeah, I guess for you looking back, that's like unheard of back then. Yeah, yeah, you'd see a few like ones that would sell out, but these wouldn't be that quick. Um, and you see just the amount of tournaments as well. Like even a lot of game stores now, like obviously we're going to a larger space so we can run more tournaments. Um, you just see other, you know, independent stores as well who run events um, and just kind of things like leagues and that as well. You know, the ones that don't have as much room, you'll see leagues or things like that where they can use the smaller play space but keep it going. So like our Melvin store um, run a lot of leagues and they'll get 40 plus people in the league. Um, they don't have the room for that many people, but, you know, when you stagnate it out over a few days, they're able to do it. So Yeah. And has that changed, like, were you the first independent stores you're at were they still running leagues and tournaments you generally see it so i mean Melbourne's there wasn't that a, demand for it or uh, mainly, mainly pickup games yeah i mean there was a lot more pickup games um a lot of stores back then just didn't have the room or the tables i mean it's so much easier now to make a table of terrain um you know there's better terrain out there and 3d printing obviously also helps um so a lot of places just didn't have the terrain or the room whereas it's kind of become a bigger thing now so feel yeah. like social media has probably played a large part in that it's easier to just get in contact with with a, with a group of people you just make a discord yeah like the battleforge gaming discord um and you can just you can just get a group together that it's easy to just message and be like yo it's my league game this weekend uh someone want to meet up yep whereas it whereas it was used to be a lot harder yeah yeah, it's like even since Facebook, like just being able to be like message a friend and be like, hey, let's go to that local store. You know, back when I was a kid, if I started, if I wanted to have a game at a games workshop, I'd have to, you know, call my friend, try and organize it. You'd have to talk to the stores, make sure there was room. It was a lot more effort. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's definitely the, the social media side of things obviously has grown the hobby as well. Um, I mean, you see it, you, you have people on your TikTok coming in and they've, they may have, like you said, they may have heard of Warhammer now, but then they actually get to see someone actually doing it live well, the, in front of the them. The fantastic thing about when I do my lives is, and I take it as a compliment, is when I get people in that haven't seen it before and then they hang around in stream. Yeah. And then they come back to another stream. So Amazing. It's, um, it, it is the type of hobby where if you've never seen it before, um, it can grab your interest pretty, pretty damn fast. It's pretty different. Yeah. So I think that's the thing, like going back to what you're saying about how it's changed. I think from a game point of view, it hasn't really. Like every edition we see changes, you know, some editions troops will be better and others they won't be. You know, vehicles will go from good and bad. That's It always kind of rotates. Like I've played seven editions of 40K now. Same with, you know, Fantasy when I played that and all the other games. Like there's always the ebbs and flows and then new books come out and all that. 
but the game I think hasn't changed that much. Um, the biggest change has hands down been the painting. Like that's a part which exploded. Like back in the day, you know, as I said, there was a few websites, you know, back when Cool Mini or Not was just the website and you'd yeah. you know, could post their cool photos and you see those stunning, the golden demon and like all those photos were amazing. Um, that was about it. That was the only way you'd really see painting. Whereas now you go on social media and there's just painting everywhere. Yeah. It's so easy. Like I was saying to Justin earlier, like it's about the easiest time in the world to get into painting, but it's also the hardest and most overwhelming time because there's just thousands of paints. There's yeah. different brands. It's that, it's that echo chamber we're also talking about where if you start up your Instagram for your hobby and you've started painting, then obviously you're going to get fed into the algorithm. So there's going to be like, you like Warhammer stuff. Yeah. Here's Warhammer stuff. But a lot of the time, they're just like, here's the 1% of dudes that are like majority heavy metal team and then yeah. the guys that are potentially going to be the heavy metal team. And that's what you're getting, that's what you're getting fed, which, which in itself is fantastic because they're really, really good to learn from. But it is also, it is that, um, it's why we say don't compare yourself to other people. It is the thief of joy. Um, yeah, it's, it can be intimidating seeing models yeah. painted that well but everyone needs to start at the beginning it's it's yeah. interesting like i get people coming in every day and obviously they look at the models i paint in the store and they'll say you know obviously they say they're great and everything like i've won a fair few painting awards but i look at mine and compare them to you know like i look at you know something like vincey v online or miniac or those kind of guys um and it's just it's another level like there i compare myself to them and i might as well be finger painting my models it's just insane <laughs> the difference in skill but everyone kind of you always look up to you know other people and it's just you kind of have to balance you want to you know aspire to get there yeah, but you use, have to be realistic use it as inspiration yeah. that's or just never use it as a comparison use it as an inspiration that's it see that pick out the parts you like from the models ask them questions we've said it yeah. multiple times be polite ask them questions they'll more uh, than often than not they'll, they'll they'll help you out yeah i think i always tell people the reason you know i've got to this level is i've been doing it for 20 years you know, if you do anything for 20 years, like if I was just to sit there kicking a soccer ball for 20 years, I'd be great at soccer. But, you know, it's one of those things, the more you do it, the better you get. So That's it. You make a lot of money playing golf, guys. Pick up golf <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, so that's definitely, I think, something you've talked about with the streamers is sticking to it and the consistency not getting discouraged like don't be disheartened it's yep. so easy like you said now glenn it's so easy to see uh all the great work all the great artists out there painting their models and you you might paint your first model and be like oh this looks nothing like that it looks terrible but you but don't see that 20 years that glenn's put it. in to get where he's at exactly all you see is the model that's on instagram of that fantastic painter yep. you don't see all the models they painted before that and then like quite often they're not some pretty shoddy models early on. There's a lot of, even I'll still paint models today where I'll try something new and it'll just turn out awful. Like I'm actually recently trying to get into bus painting. So something I'm trying to challenge myself to do is look at doing crimson brush, um, which is kind of like another painting contest we have in Australia. Um, and it's they part mainly, of CanCon? Yeah, just part of CanCon. They're now coming down for ARC as well. They're the guys doing the painting stuff at ARC. Um, and a lot of the work is bus painting because obviously bus got the larger size. And a lot of the skills I'm pretty competent at just don't scale well to bus. Um, you know, you can't get away doing tricks like dry brushing out. Like if you're wet blending slightly off, it just looks really obvious. Um, and it almost feels like starting again. It's one of those kind of, it's been really fun for me because I've kind of, I almost feel like a beginner again. I've been watching, you know, intro to bus painting videos. I can like really feel how kind of new painters feel again, which has been great fun. So, How was that like when you'd have, because obviously when you're working for GW, 
you'd have to run or you'd have some kind of introductory painting yep. system and stuff like that in place. Yeah, so they still even do that today. So if you go into a G-Dub store, they'll have like a little painting station set up and they'll have, and they've got now these big kind of boards which have a picture of a space marine and a Stormcast Eternal on it and the steps to do it. It's usually like, I think it's four or six steps. Um, and it goes through from doing your base coat, doing a wash. Um, I think they may have highlighting on there now. It's the real kind of the things you start with, you want to start learning when you're starting to paint. So, yeah. um, I mean, it's what, yeah, they know what they're doing at this point. So they yeah. know how to teach people how to paint. You know, you look at the old Duncan videos. They're very formulaic, but they work and they're good for those new players. So Yeah. And what, what was it like? Like how were the re- responses from the customers, like the kids and the, the people coming it's in? Great. Like, it's great. It's one of my favorite parts of hobby is like teaching new people, even like other hobbies I do. I always just love teaching new people and getting them involved. So like... You know, even now, general games in the school holidays, we always run little learn-to-paint sessions for the kids. It's one of my favourite things to do every few months because you get to, you know, impart your skills and what I've done and see these new players, these new painters, and, like, even from the start of their model to the end of it. So you'll start by getting to paint the whole model blue or green, whatever they want to do. Um, and, you know, they always start by missing parts. It's always the same parts around the ankles. Um, but by the end, you'll get them to do, you know, the eyes. And they always, when you go, all right, you're going to paint the eye, they always get a bit intimidated. You can see in their face just be like, I can't do that. But then you'll get them to do it and they'll, you know, get a bit everywhere. That's fine. You'll get them to clean it up. And they'll look at it at the end with just, like, joy and, like, from where they started, you know, half an hour earlier, they'll never think they could actually achieve that result. But, you know, in half an hour you can learn something like that. So it's just great fun to do. So. Have, have you stumbled across, like, a, a little Darren Latham? Is there one, have. Has, have, is there one been and you've just been like, hang on? There's been a few. Um, there's been a few where I've just taught them and, like, I was like, at this point, they could be teaching me. Like, it's just, they'll have it all down. They'll, you know, be like, oh, we'll get you to do the eyes. And they'll nail it. They won't get any pain on the arm or anything. It's like, all right, you're done. You go buy your army. You know, here's a flyer for Golden Demon. Go into that. Um, <laughs> you get them from time to time. So, yeah. I'd be interested to see. It'd be funny to see them, like, progress in the hobby. I love Because I'm yeah. assuming they're probably, like, 12, 13-year-olds. Usually, yeah. Usually, we get a few older ones, but usually they're the ones. Like, we see, you know, the 12-year-old who pull out that... They'll, you know, you get them through the armor trim on the Space Marine shoulder pad and they'll perfectly nail it and they'll work out how to hold the brush. You know, you hold it sideways, not straight on. Like, all those little tricks that take most people years, they'll be picking up. Um, and you're always excited to see where they can kind of go, so. It'd be funny to see them when they're, like, 21. Yeah. If it's, they continue it. It's interesting because, like, there's a lot of, in the last five, ten years, there's a lot of sports and hobbies that have really blown up with kids starting at a young age and... Yep. There's so many resources out there for them to learn that hobby at a young age. By the time they get to our age, the level's just next it's be tier. Amazing. Yeah. So yeah, it'll happen to Warhammer as well. Like there's going to be a generation of kids coming up. It's happening now. There's there's a guy on Instagram that I follow. Um, I think it's Jacob Paints. I think mm. he's 22. Yeah. He might as well he might as well work for for heavy metal, like. It's insane. Yeah, I remember seeing, I think it was a YouTube video of one of the big YouTubers. They got a bunch of commission stuff painted, and one of them was done by, yeah, this young kid, and it looks stunning. And it's just like, yeah, back in the day, I remember there was a kind of running joke back when I worked at Games Workshop, you know, in the 2010s kind of time. They'd always look at, like, Spain to where the hobby's going to go next. They were always, like, ahead of the curb. Yeah. Um, Who's that? Spain. Europe, yeah, Europeans. Yeah, European, in particular Spain. Like, all yeah. the Spanish painters, they were just always just kind of, like, a little bit ahead of the curb. Like, they started doing the, like source lighting before the rest of the world did um and now like you know you look at these young kids and they're going to be the future of the hobby like you just see them with all the resources at their fingertips how far they're going to take the hobbies going to be amazing to see yeah it's going to be tough out there yeah 
Yeah, it's a bit of a running joke I have with one of my friends. Um, I've got a golden in from a long time ago. It was a bronze in a staff category, so it means absolutely nothing. Um, but it's a joke. If I, you know, enter those kind of models now, you'd get laughed at. Like models that I painted back then that I could enter into a golden demon and get, you know, looked at. If you enter now, it's just you wouldn't even get a chance. Like People the level of crazy. painting has just come so far yeah. that it's something else. Like even you look at some of the stunning golden demons from 15 years ago, and like that's just your average entry now. It's just stunning. So I remember I remember Justin talking about the box art from 10, 15 years ago, and just dark saying, vengeance. Yeah, saying how different how different that it would be. Yeah, from the box art when I started Sixth Edition Dark Vengeance, which is what I aspired to to paint like, to what it is now is vastly different, and there are so many painters that paint to the level of yeah. what the Dark Vengeance was, and um, you know it's it, it's not something I thought I would ever get to that point like. I knew I wanted to improve as a hobbyist and I was going to put in the work to paint, but I didn't know what my ceiling was as a hobbyist, as a painter. So I, I exceeded what the, the Dark Vengeance box was in yeah. terms of quality. Um, so it's just one of those things, that intimidation factor, once you get over it and get a little bit of confidence just to try some stuff, you, you don't know what you're, you're capable of doing until you attempt it. Yeah, and just those try different models too. Just try them things like if you're feeling a bit burnt out, painting one style, pick up a random model you'd never paint and just do something way out there. And, like, it doesn't really matter if you ruin it. Um, just try it and you'll you learn something. You might find techniques you're better at. Obviously, my, my bread and butter is my edge highlights of Space Marines, so I focus on them. I don't tend to go towards the organic orcs or tyranids too much because I know where what I'm comfortable with um, and, and what my skills, I guess, um, uh, are strongest, so... Yeah, we well, yeah, I found that when I was playing Games Workshop for their stuff, it was a very box art style. So it was your base coat, wash, highlights, all that. Whereas nowadays I don't, I paint very differently. That I do a lot more dirty paint jobs. I use lots of effects and that kind of thing. Um, and you'll find you might end up just changing the way you paint because you prefer painting as well. Like it might not be that you're great at it, but you might just, it might be quicker. You yeah. might just enjoy it more. So yeah, that's probably a great, a great find, point to find touch your on. style. There's there's so many different styles now. To, to do the hobby in. You don't have to stick with one. There's, you know, there's probably a myriad of friggin' names that I wouldn't even know. But, yeah, Grim Dark, like Heavy yeah. Metal. Make your own style. Yeah. There's yep. people out there making their own style. Like, you see it on Instagram. Uh, Christian, Christian's Paint Studio, I think. The king of textures. Like, he does a lot of lines on... And he picks models that suit it so he's got like Kernoth hunters he does a lot of like timber lining on um dave colwell with his like micro dotting on his stuff mm. so there's people out there developing their own style as well it's not just like the existing styles it doesn't mean you can't make your own style and be yeah. known for that style well i mean the master of it was blanche like he was the one who when everyone else was doing clean styles he was the one who went out and did these bizarre paint schemes that were just using weird scratchy effects and like Obviously, the guy was a stunning artist and did some incredible stuff, but, like, it wasn't seen. And, you know, if he entered one of those models into a painting contest, it would have been kind of laughed at. But, like, yeah. it was such a cool, unique style that it became loved and, like, people started copying it and doing these really messy, out-there styles that looked like nothing people had seen and he became, you know, a cult hero because of it, so... Yeah, definitely. That's the beautiful part about this hobby with the art side of things. It's It does have that subjectiveness to it. It, it is so... 
like beauty is in the eye of the beholder type the, of thing. There is no right or wrong. Yeah. yeah. There is your hobby. And if people tell you to, how to do your own hobby, oh, like, I'm not going to swear on stream, <laughs> but tell them where to go. Honestly, <laughs> if you want help to, assert a, uh, to paint a certain way, that's fantastic. Ask people. But if someone is literally coming to you and saying you're doing this wrong, you're not. Yep. You're doing it the way you want to do it. If you're putting chapter icons where a codex doesn't put chapter icons, that is fine. That is your hobby. Enjoy your hobby. 100%. Because you see a lot I get, uh, from an old memory, a young kid we used to have who came in when I was working at the Ringwood Warhammer store for a bit who had his, he was playing a Katachin army um, back when they had rules in a day and his version of Sly Marbo because he didn't have a model at the time, he just had a Katachin arm sticking up through what he, he glued a rhino... Uh, just hurt, well, little one of the little Hatch. holes on the top. Hatch, that's what. Yeah. Uh, onto a base and just had a catechin arm sticking out of it. And he thought it was the coolest thing in the world. He thought it was this great conversion. And it became infamy in the store. There was this great character who just, like, appear anywhere, ha you know, take a shot with his gun that, you know, that we'd made up the rules and it was a practical las cannon. Um, <laughs> and it was this little las gun, but it was, might as well have been a las cannon. He'd just, you know, pop up, shoot a vehicle in the back, disappear again. And this little thing, this kid would have been 12. Um, and it was the coolest thing in the world to him. And that's, you, like, they're the things you love to see, so. That's sick. I'll look out for that in 11th edition. Yeah, he's probably in his 30s now, that kid, so <laughs> hopefully he still has it. Look out for Sly Marbo. He's, yeah. he's got some good rules. He's got some good rules. <laughs> yeah, that's a, uh, so we've probably, probably touched on it a bit now, but how have, how has, like, Warhammer, you said it hasn't changed a whole lot, like, it's still the same game, but how have the additions changed over the years that you've been playing, do you think? Is it still, like, has the gaming system changed? It changes, like, a lot and not a lot at the same time. It's going to be like, there's always changes. Like, you know, one army will go from being the top army, you know, tanks will be the meta this edition. Then next edition will be infantry. Um, so for that, oh, that, like, that's a good example. I mean, the thing is Games Workshop's a company. Yep. And they need to sell models, right? So in order to sell the same models to the person that's already got those models, it can be as simple as being the battle cannon on the Lehman Russ is no longer the go-to weapon. It's now that uh, I think it's the Eradicator or something. Like it can be as simple as changing uh, a weapon enabled to, to, to change what the meta is in, in certain armies. And it's not just Games Workshop as well. Uh, as someone who's played lots of games, you say the same thing in every game. Yeah. Um, and there's additions people love and hate and always when a new edition gets announced, there's a bunch of people who'll jump online and burn their armies and the world's falling and two months later, everyone loves the game. So even big changes, I mean, Age of Sigma was probably the biggest one I've ever seen where it went from the old fantasy to Age of Sigma. Like, there was literally videos online of people burning their armies. Um, Still, to this day, I cannot understand that. I, I get the frustration. Nobody, this guy's getting two shout-outs on a oh, podcast. He'll continue to get shout-outs. <laughs> Nobody stopped people playing Warhammer Fantasy. Yep. They still... stopped supporting it as Games yeah. Workshop. Nobody said you could stop playing that game. Even to this day at CanCon, they do a lot of the smaller events. They still have an old Hammer event there. So even five years after it's been dead, they still have every year this tournament that's run and still gets people playing old editions. So We, yeah. we spoke about this a little bit when Kieran was, was on the show. And uh, the best, I did a little a little highlight reel of that clip talking about the guy burning his, um, what do you have? The dark elves. Dark, dark yep. elves, yeah, burning his dark elves. And the best comment I got on that video was 
The guy acted like Games Workshop sent a Black Ops team to his house to take his models off him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing, right? If, if you don't like, because we, we've chat and we'll chat about this more in, in this podcast in terms of what you like and what you don't like about each edition, we, uh, we did another clip where we, we spoke about uh, saying that 10th is better than 9th. That's yep. what we're saying. We weren't saying think, we didn't say tenth was the best edition ever because we haven't played all the editions. We just simply said tenth is our favorite. Um, and if and and people have said I've given up playing tenth. Like well, I hate it. You can still play ninth if you've got your core group of friends. No one's stopping you playing ninth. Well, you don't also, you don't need to generate that amount of hate towards an edition. It's it's going to be okay. There's going to be new editions. Yeah. It's also why they released Heresy because it's practically 7th edition. Yeah. So it was definitely a way for them to catch old ones. But you see the same thing with other games. Like I played virtually every mini game that's come to Australia. I've tried at some point. Even things, you know, like I remember Guild Ball was a big one because it was a bit like Blood Bowl but a bit more competitive. But they did little seasons that were quite short. I think they were six months or a year. Um, and every season it changed from being a kind of a game where the scorers were better and you want to try and score to a game where you just want to try and beat up your opponent. And like... Every edition people kind of change the list, but never... It was still the same game. And you'll see it for every game that it'll, it'll change up, but it's... end of the day, it's still going to be the same game, so... Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you think... Um, with with uh, how you're saying people getting frustrated, did you feel that in the store when you were that working? Was, yeah. I mean, every time a new edition comes out, like even with 10th now, I still talk to people. It's been out what, a year almost, something like that. Yeah, it's probably close to a year, probably yeah. nine, eight months, nine months. Yeah, and there's still people who come in like, oh, I refuse to play it and, you know, you get those people with every game. It's the same thing. We see the same thing with the card games and board games. Um, it always happens. But it's just... The thing with the yeah. card games, though, the, I, I've, um, I mean, I suppose they still do it now. I, I played I played a little bit of uh, Vanguard Card Fight. Card Fight card Vanguard. Card Vanguard, yep. The, the thing that was difficult about that game was they... And they probably do it with a lot of other card games. I don't know. They make cards absolutely obsolete. You cannot play that card anymore. Yep. They are not doing that with Warhammer. No. They're, they're upgrading stuff. So, yeah, your Tactical Marines, they're eventually going to get pushed to the wayside completely. They will go into Legends 100% and it will just be Intercessors. You won't be able to pick Tactical Marines. If you want to play Tactical Marines, go play Heresy. Um, but they're not making models obsolete. They're, they're updating models yep. to give them new models. The rules are still going to stay there. You can still you could still play your tactical marines as intercessors, arguably. If you like, yep. most people aren't going to have an issue with that. So, um, yeah, there's, yeah, there's it's, it's quite, it is quite humorous though. The amount of hmm. sheer steam coming from people's ears. Yeah, there's a big term in card games called power creep, and you, I mean you get it as well in Warhammer. But by having new additions, it kind of resets power creep. Um, and you see it in a lot of card games where they don't have rotations or any kind of restart and it gets more and more ridiculous. And yep. you end up... It makes it really hard for new players to get in. Like, the complexity of the game goes through the roof and it makes it... You just see the games end up just dying. Yeah. Um, and instead, you know, you see it with games like Warhammer, Dungeons & Dragons do the same thing as well where they relaunch in a new edition. Yeah. And it makes it easier for people to get into and kind of it's just a fresh start. Um, and like you get a lot of people who don't like it because you know their list that was meta isn't meta anymore. They have to buy a new thing, a new weapon, whatever it is. But it's why Warhammer's still around after ten years. If they just kept the first ed rules and just kept updating them and putting out new codexes and that, oh, they wouldn't exist. It would, they, yeah, they wouldn't. Be dead 10 years they ago. just wouldn't be selling models. Well, you yeah. can't you can't get a new 
uh, player base that way. Yeah. You just you just you isolate people completely out of the hobby because yeah. how how would someone like myself get in ten years in when people have been well this building is, these lists for ten uh, years? I, I'm I never played I never played the old world the fantasy, but the the rumors are pretty strong that that's essentially what happened. It was extremely hard for new people Correct. to get into fantasy because of how complex it was, and and the people had just been playing for so long that. If you were new, it was very hard for you to get in to not only learn the rules, let alone play a game that you enjoyed because it, it was so difficult to learn. Yeah, so I was working for Games Workshop during the launch of the last edition of Fantasy and I was working at the independent store during the changeover. Um, and definitely the killer part of Fantasy, yeah, the complexity was insane. Trying to teach people how to wheel a movement tray, it's tough. Um, and the other big thing was the price in fantasy. When you have rank and file games, they just cost more. You need more models. Like an average army in 40K might be 30 models. Whereas in, especially in the last editions of fantasy, you had units that were 50. So having to buy those models and paint them was just another level of overwhelming. Um, so yeah, between the complexity of that and just the overwhelmness and the cost, that was kind of what ended up killing fantasy pretty much. Have you had with the... But it's back. It's coming, yeah, back. With the, it's coming with, back. With the old world, have you had people already in store chatting about it with you? 100%. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of hype for it. Um, I think it's a good move on their behalf to kind of relaunch it. And I think they've like a lot of people kind of upset how long they took. I think it's been a good amount of time personally because I think Age of Sigma is fully found its feet now. Like, it's a full game. We see, as I said, tournaments in Australia see 200 players. So it's its own unique game. It's its own thing. You can now kind of relaunch fantasy. It's had, you know, enough time to breathe. There's enough time, I think, for the old people to kind of almost clear out and get some, you know, flesh blood in there that are going to be excited for it and going to want it and going to push it and make it, you know, a passion of theirs and grow it. So, well, it's, yeah. pro- it's uh, like you said, the, the amount of time it disappeared. Now there's a whole new group of tabletop gamers and all it takes is you to be a tabletop gamer to start to understand almost any other tabletop game you get involved in. So it is much easier for, um, the, I guess, the newer... 5%, yeah. Once you learn it, and again, you see it in card games and other model games and board games, like once you kind of learn the key concepts, you kind of explain, like I can explain a board game to someone in, you know, a minute. I can be like, it's an open drafting game. And most people who play board games will get the basic mechanics. Or you can explain card games terms like scrying, which is a magic term but most games use now. A card game will understand that. And to say now, Warhammer's kind of created this thing where, you know, people understand what weapon skill is, what ballistic skill, armor penetration, and you can use that in all your games and it makes it easy to jump across, so. Yeah. Yeah, so would, do, you have a, do you have a preference on what would be the easiest for someone to get into at this point? Uh, I'd probably say it's... For the last five years, I would have always said fantasy, especially over... Uh, sorry, Age of Sigma, I should say, especially over... 9th edition 40k. Um, I wasn't a big fan of 9th edition. For, for someone like me who's a bit of a casual gamer, <laughs> I said I can't play that often. It's just, it's quite overwhelming. Like, trying to, you know, I write up a list and be like, all right, now I have to work out what stratagems I've got, what can I use, and there's so many. As I said, like, you know, as I said earlier, I'm a hobby butterfly, so I have practically every 40k armor there is, and like, I'll jump, I'll play one game with Sister Battle, the next I'll use Tyranids. And I'm, there's so much to remember from each one. So yeah, if you're not up to date with all their different yeah, rules. Yeah, and, and when I only play a game every few months, it was just really tough. So I hardly play ninth. Um, and I love 10th personally. Like it's, I've seen a real resurgence in it from a store point of view. We're getting a lot more players into it, um, which has been great. And 
I'd say now probably 10th, I reckon, could be easier than Age of Sigma to get into now. So they're both I, similar. They're but very 10th, similar. Yeah, they're I very similar. 10th might be easier. Um, and it might be a little bit... The new Sigma adds a few extra rules and a command phases and that. So I think 10th might be slightly easier to get into. So, so yeah. on that point... Um, and now I only started in six, and you said you started maybe in fourth. Yeah, third or fourth, I would have started properly. Yeah. If we might go through um, and list a few things you liked about each edition and and stuff you didn't like, Test and, my then, and then there might yeah, well, I'll be <laughs> testing my memory too, and there might not be something you dislike about a specific edition at all. And keep in mind, like I didn't play any. Well, I played maybe two games of ninth, but. Yeah, because I also, similar, yeah. like Glenn, did not like it. <laughs> yep. Um, I, I might start. So in 6th edition, for me, it was a little bit more of a difficult edition for people to get into because yep. there was so many rules in that core rulebook. So examples would be if you're an infantry, every infantry moves 6 inches. And unless you knew that, like, there was, yep. there was no... There was nothing on a, a data slate or anything telling you how far a, a unit moved. And, like, it was was almost flat across the board from memory. So, like, if you were a walker, you had... You, all walkers moved the same distance. Yeah, it was like keywords, and they all had the same special abilities, and yeah. Yeah. yeah six was a tough one. I think I really enjoyed six. Um, I was working for the company at the time, so, like, I started working when fifth was out. Fifth, I think, was probably my favourite edition. Well, they they were very similar, fifth and were. six. Six was more of a, a rider and a bit of a tweak, but the fundamentals were the same. So, I think for me, fifth and six, I could just group together, really. Um, and I have good memories because it was probably the time I spent the most time playing Warhammer. Yeah. Um, I was working for the company. I was playing 40K weekly. It was my favorite system. Um, I'd play events regularly. So I got to learn the game really well. Yeah. Um, so for me, you know, I've got real rose-tinted glasses looking back at it. N- but a lot of nostalgia. Yeah, 100%. I, I don't know if it was, it... was it sixth where they updated every codex, I feel? I think or it was. Or was close to every codex? Yeah, there was a few where they did the five... I think it might have been... There's one where they did the five black books that they released. It was like the two Imperial, the two That Chaos, was that was the start of eighth. That was eighth? Okay. That cool. was the start of eighth. The um yeah, that had the indexes. Yeah. The indexes. I think from from what I saw with six and up until now, obviously releases have increased vastly. Yeah. So new models, codex is getting updated, FAQs. Back in fifth, I think if if your book um wasn't good. <laughs> yep. And there wasn't stuff good in that book. You was that was that was your book. Yeah, hundred percent. From a gaming point of view, you mentioned earlier the biggest changes. That's definitely been it. Um, just the frequency. Like back when I worked there, you know, back in the day, we there was one release a month, um, and it was one army. So you'd only if this month, if you know, Scave was coming out, that was it. If you're a forty k player, too bad. You might get something tiny that might interest you, but it was pretty much there wasn't much. Um, and, like, releases you'd find out about also really far in advance. So I remember finding out about Space Wolves, seeing the, uh, the big Space Wolves riding the wolves, seeing them nine months before they came out, um, whereas they don't do any of that now. Now it's, like, you, the staff, find out the same day as customers. Like, we watch the same reveal trailers that everyone else does, um, and they just pump out. Obviously, there's a release practically every week. And it won't just be for one system. They'll have, you know, there's some stuff for 40K, but there's still an AOS novel or something little here as well. So yeah. that's definitely been the biggest change from a gaming point of view is just how much there is and how up frequently updated. Did that slowly ramp up or did it hit a point where they just exploded? 
Um, it was, I think the big change for Games Workshop I noticed was when they lost the old CEO, whatever his name was, I can't remember his first name, Kirby. Um, so if you look at Games Workshop back 15 years ago, that's when it, the reputation for Games Workshop being this evil jerk corporation existed. Um, the, he was either the CEO or something on the board. He was very money-focused. He wanted to make money. That was all he cared about. How can we make the most money? He didn't want to engage with the community. This is back before Games Workshop did, you know, had the YouTube. They did the White Dwarf. That was it. They didn't listen to feedback. It was a pretty... It was very businessy. It seemed like you'd be working any other retail kind of company. When he left and the newer guys stepped in, that's when they started engaging with the community more. You'd see the, you know, the YouTube videos. That's where they brought in all the painters. Um, they'd engage with the community. If the community posted you know, negative feedback, they'd engage with them and be like, hey, we hear you. We want to improve it. They started getting playtesters in to help with the rules and doing those things so they could actually you know, become a lot more... Are open with everyone so you know people could engage with them feel like they're part of a community not like the strict here's games workshop here's the community yeah nice. that was yeah the big, i think that was i think he left probably 10 odd years ago now and that was where you probably saw the biggest change um in terms of the more releases i think that's just slowly built up i'm sure if you look back there'll be some date where they went from once a month to practically weekly um but that's just been a continuous upgrade really yeah and you think like overly would that be do you think it's a positive thing for the, the hobby? Having I do. That many? Um, I mean, there's a term that's more familiar for board gamers called cult of the new, um, where especially in board games, there's always new games coming out. Like every other week, there's a board game out because um, there's so many different companies putting stuff out and people can get very focused on only the new stuff and you can get models which people kind of get left behind. Um, and we probably saw that a bit with the COVID years, like because a bunch of models came out during COVID, people didn't really see them. They weren't playing games, weren't going to stores to, to look at them they kind of got left behind. I even know, I'll sometimes look at the shelf and be like, when did that model come out? Like, it came out two years ago. I've never even seen it because it came out during nose time. Um, but I think generally it's a positive to have more models. Like, again, the more people playing, more options is good. If you don't like it, you can kind of ignore it. You know, if some new Gene Stealer cult model comes out and you just don't like, you don't think it looks cool, don't buy it. Like, yeah. it's pretty simple. And then, you know, if two months later a cool model comes out, grab that one. So, yeah. Yeah, more options for everyone. Yeah, it's just, I yeah, as I said, uh, kind of more people playing, more options. It's never a bad thing. Um, even, you know, you see a little bit now with kind of we're seeing some of the 3D printing stuff starting. Obviously, it can be a bit of a slippery slope, but, like, as more people get in, you see more custom bits. You know, like, I'm not a big 3D printer, but, you know, seeing custom shoulder pads or little bits here and there can be really cool, so. Yeah, just little bits that add to the the theatrics of it all. Yeah, and, and you just see more of everything, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you guys have any crazy rules you remember from those earlier editions? Is there anything like I yeah, know well, wheeling? Again, like- again, touching on the stuff that I, I liked and I didn't like from editions. Um, seventh edition was, I think, the edition I played the most yep. of any edition, uh, and they had formations. Was it called formations? Yeah, it was called yeah. formations, and you essentially got bonuses. You got bonuses for taking specific units, so it was a way for them to. I guess, push a, get a bit more of a themed list. And, and, it, and it was stuff like, uh, this is when I played my Tau, it was stuff like a Riptide Wing, which was an extremely popular formation because it was very, very good. I can't remember the exact details. I feel like it was whenever you did your, your Nova Reactor, which was powering up the suit, you got to pick two bonuses instead of one. So you could power up yeah. your gun and your shield instead of just doing doing the gun. So as long as you fulfilled that riptide. As long as yeah. you took three riptides, 
and put them in that formation, you benefit from that. The rest of the if you took if you took an, another single riptide, he wasn't part of that formation. Yeah. But the um, that was probably that addition formations were probably my favorite thing and also my least favorite thing 100%. because games workshop seemed to release their additions in pairs sixth and seventh eighth and ninth tenth and what will be eleventh and the secondary edition always seems the one they ramp those power levels up and then games just get a bit too hectic for my liking yep. they get a bit too fast models get removed from the board too fast which for someone who spends such a long time painting their models <laughs> is um, extremely painful. It's devastating. But there was stuff like your Admech. They had a. This is when you paid for war gear. There was some detachment or formation, and you didn't pay for war gear. So if you wanted all ahead the plasma. You, you want yeah ahead of the curve. You wanted all that plasma. You didn't pay that extra sixty points for that unit. You just got it. There was a detachment for space marines, free transports. Free transports. Like it had to be a dedicated transport. It couldn't be a land raider, but it could be a bunch of Razorbacks with heavy yep. bolters. could be a bunch of drop pods. Yeah. It was, it was a fun addition. Though. Personally, I'm in the same boat. I really loved it because I loved thematic lists. Yeah. But at the same time, it was tough. Like it reminded me a lot, um, a few years earlier when they did the Apocalypse release, they had similar things. So you take like three yeah. Vindicators and they got one of the big apocalypse size blast templates, which were literally the size of a dinner plate. They were yeah. great. <laughs> um, like this, dude. They were great. One Massive. of the funnest things when you Wait, just really? see them, they look yeah, so yeah. yeah, and the closer, look, closer you were to the center, the more the damage you took. They looked fake. And there was a giant flamer template that was like eight inches long, nine. It, was, it looked fake. Um, but it was great. And they did that for that. And it was really fun. But competitively, it broke the game. And it reminded me a little bit, probably before your time, I think it was probably fourth edition Space Marine Codex. You got to choose, you could make your own chapters and you could choose pros and cons for them. Um, and in theory, it was great because you could get someone who was really thematic, who wanted to do this really cool chapter, who had a great backstory and had these really nasty cons, but really great pros. But competitive players just went, cool, I'm going to take all these great things. I'm going to take all the yeah, best Yeah, I'm going to yeah. take the negative, all right, I can't use flamers. I wasn't going to do anyway. doesn't matter at all. Or I can't use transports, whatever. I'm just going to take vehicles. Yeah, deep-striping um, yeah. terminators. And they're all getting, you know, plus one strength for their gun. So it was just like you could pick and, you know, for competitive guys, they could just break the system. And it reminded me a little bit the same thing where, like, competitive players could just really exploit Min and take max. the ones. Yeah. yeah. And the negatives were so small that with some of them, you'd just be like, it didn't matter. I was never going to take a broadside. I'm just going to take hammerheads. It's fine. Um so it created this weird mix where casual players really loved it, but you'd also hate it at the same time. Yeah. So what edition was that one with the... Uh, it was seven, the six and, uh, seventh and eighth, I think was the one. Um, so seventh was the one that took formations. Eighth was the reset with the indexes. That was right, yeah. And the fantastic thing about eighth for me was how simple it was. Yeah. That's when, they, that's when they got rid of the mass core rulebook and most of your rules were on your page for the unit. So your data slate had how far things move. The cool thing about that was all of a sudden Eldar that are meant to be really quick and um, nimble on the battlefield were moving seven inches with an infantry and your Terminators were now moving like five, Yeah. which in the scheme of the game and like the law, it didn't make sense for Terminators to keep up with Eldar. Like it, it just made, it made um, little sense. So for me... Eighth was fantastic with the simple reset, and I did play a, a fair amount of that. Uh, and they started to bring in the stratagems. For me, yes. stratagems <laughs> is, um, and it's less so this edition, 
but stratagems through ninth felt like a Yu-Gi-Oh trap card. Yeah. Big ones for me were um, stuff like, and I play Space Marines. A big one for me was Transhuman, right? You do all this massive work getting across the table with a combat unit. You've you've done really well to get in a position for a charge. All of a sudden, you're wounding on a four plus. It doesn't matter. You've got all these really powerful weapons. You're just wounding me on a four plus, and it completely negated stuff like um, again for Blood Angels. Your rule was plus one to wound on the charge. Cool. Your core rule for your army is negated by one stratagem. And it wasn't just that, Blood Angels. It was stuff like there was trans... People called it trans hitmen. So you could only hit something on a four. So you might have had something that gets bonuses to hit. Completely negated. Completely negated. So on the on the other side of that, in eighth, there were stratagems where you could spend a strat at the start of the game and upgrade a unit. For me, that was really cool. All of a sudden, you could make veteran assault intercessors which weren't that much better than anything else you got an extra attack and extra leadership but thematically having some assault intercessors with white helmets for your ultramarines that were veterans very very cool so from a hobby point of view you could just like do really fun things like you'd have an army that was you know beat up and they'd been to a bunch of wars and have them all scratched up and missing limbs and like do some fun stuff so yeah that's that's what i really liked about that and then yeah for me the strats got pushed too far uh, things just got too killy. Things just got removed from the board too much for ninth. So yeah, ninth, a- ninth, ninth, I just did a hard pass. I didn't complain about it. I was like, well, do you know what? I'm not playing much ninth. I'm going to focus on my painting. Yeah, that's the additions only last three or four years nowadays. So it's really that long. But um, yeah, with stratagems, I think as a thing I've seen a lot of board games people really dislike, which is gotchas. Um, so if you look at, like there'll be a lot of people as soon as you see that a board game has a gotcha style mechanic, They'll just ignore it. It's pretty much a time when, like, you fall into a trap that you weren't aware of. Um, so, like, hidden information and stratagems are a really good example because, like, a new player, they're not going to know every stratagem. They'll walk their guys up being like, all right, I'm ready for a fight, and then they'll get hit by the transhuman. Yeah. Or they'll see, you know, a unit coming down and drop pod that they know aren't that scary and be like, oh, I won't worry about them. But then they'll pump a few stratagems on them, suddenly they're just wiping a unit, and they're doing way more than what they should. Yeah. And I feel like there is, there's, a, there's a benefit to that, but... It, like it, it got it got pushed a little bit to the extreme for me. Like I do like strats. They're, they've they've got a they've got a place in the game. Like Red Rampage for Blood Angels, you can fall out of combat and recharge. Yeah. There's cool cool stuff like that. But uh, I feel like Eleventh Edition when it comes out, we'll start to yeah. we'll start to ramp up again. And um, well, I guess I'm just gonna have to deal with it because if we're gonna start trying <laughs> to push more. Um, push more stuff for, for Battleforge Gaming, I'll just have to learn to, to roll with the punches. Yeah. yeah, With stratagems as well, one of the things I end up doing, especially with ninth, if I was teaching new players how to play, is I just ignore them. Because mm. trying to teach a new player already, you know, if they haven't played too many games, all the, the moving and the dice rolling, all these tables, um, trying to do stratagems is just a whole other thing. So I found a lot of the games I played of ninth, we just ignored them. We just skipped them or just used them for command point re-roll and that was all you could do with it. Keep it simple and do that and it made it easier for new players i'm sure diehard tournament players would have hated us but you know <laughs> yeah oh you got to get into the hobby somehow though yeah so with stratagems the first uh edition they showed up was eight yeah they started Sorry. bringing them in eighth yeah yeah and it yeah. did start out with very basic ones like uh heroic bravery you didn't have to do yep. a battle shock test Some the re-rolls C- cp reroll start out very basic then they and then it grew and grew and grew and like i said there, there's a place for it but 
sometimes it's just it feels very gotcha. There's a little bit too much, which um, yeah, if you're going to play the game, you need to learn to to. Yeah, if you want to play, you know, if you're playing competitive events, I get that. Um, one of the other kind of points as well in Australia as a whole, but in Melbourne and lot, we don't play competitively. Like you'll see if you watch a lot of metas and you see the Australian meta, it's really different to the rest of the world. Um, and I mean, there could be a few factors. I guess maybe we just enjoy doing silly, dumb stuff. Pricing probably plays a part of it. You know, Australia pays more for Warhammer. Like, if you convert across, it is expensive over here. So people don't want to meta chase as much because it just costs more. But traditionally, you know, Australians just don't play super competitive lists. Um, a lot of our tournaments will have comp scores. So, like, ARC, famously, they'll have a comp score. So when you submit Love your it. list, you'll get grade out of 10. And if you're running a really filth list, you'll get lower score there which will hurt your overall tournament standing. So, like, you might win every game and score 10-0 in every game, but if you're only getting 3 out of 10 for comp, out of the 20, you're only scoring 13. Whereas if you run a list that's, you know, a 6 or a 7, a nice balanced list, and then win your games 8-0, you're going to place higher in the end. So it's something that's kind of a weird part of Australian hobby. So Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if that is unique to the Australian hobby. If It'd be interesting... You know, if we if we chat to some of the guys in Europe and stuff like that. Well, Lockie's spoken about it. Uh, again, Australia's got a slightly different meta, and um, we're known for it, it. And we're by no means bad at the at the at the the hobby We've whatsoever. Players, yeah, guys go to tournaments well. and they score very well, but they generally specialize at a specific army. Hmm. And I think a lot of it does come down to that price point. You want to start a new army. You, what did you call it? Was it a codex specialist? Maybe codex yeah, specialist. Yeah. Term, yeah. 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 So I guess yeah, that's something that's come about the way that we do the hobby here. It's yeah. I think the way, especially like when people start doing that way, they'll kind of spread that as well, and everyone else will join. I know. I remember listening to like an AOS stat center kind of thing, um, and he was saying that always in Australia, corn always there's always way more corn players than anywhere else, and for some reason Australians just like corn. I know it's like killing stuff, and we don't like thinking. So it's just <laughs> a way. So makes sense yeah. to me. Yes, yeah, that checks out. <laughs> um, for me, we'll chat about tenth uh, now, which I think is fantastic, and it and it and it goes together with how the the hobby and where the hobby is going. So for me, tenth is absolutely fantastic with detachments. So we've only seen a few codexes so far. There's, what, four, I think? Space Marines, Tyranids, Necrons, Admech. Admech, yep. I think that's it. For me, what's really great about this is now you can paint Blood Angels and you can play them in a White Scar list. If you want bikes, you can take bikes and you get the benefits for that. So it's, it's very clever by Games Workshop. They can sell more models that people wouldn't otherwise be buying. Um, and I, 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 there's going to be, there'll be people because there's people all around the world. Surprise. But there'll be people that are disappointed that there is that flexibility for whatever reason. I don't know why people just get grumpy over a lot of stuff, but I cannot see how it is a negative whatsoever to be able to play your chapter, your uh, forge world, your hive fleet um, and take the models you want. So you don't need to take the battle line. You can take all the big bugs and you can get all the big bug benefits for a specific hive work. Um, I think hive, it'll be I think it'll be people that are uh, like the people that are frustrated and outraged by that sort of stuff will be the ones that are potentially sticklers for the law and things yeah. like that. But I I think what they have to remember is, you know, it's the gaming side of it is only half of the hobby. So if you're if you're painting your army, you want to enjoy painting them, you want them aesthetically to be your 
type and feel. And if if their rules, it seems like such a shame and such a waste if the rules of that army that you paint don't match the style of play that you want to do. Like it seems so you're forcing someone down a lane based on paint choice. On that as well, I remember back in the day at Games Workshop, we used to have a thing called the hobby pie. So effectively the hobby was divided into six different parts. So like painting was one, gaming was one, converting, I think terrain was its own one, uh, law, so like rules and that. And it must be not, there were six parts anyway. And it was the thing was you want to kind of, you'll get people who appeal to different areas. Someone like, I, we get customers who come and buy books from us. Every new release, they'll come and buy a novel. They've never touched the game, zero interest in painting. They just love the lore and the world. And you get people who just paint and just do that. And like, that's a part is, you know, those lore people can just do that. They can just read the novels. You can still make your list. If you want to run white scars and only bikes, you can still do that. Yeah. But if you don't, then you have options. Yeah, exactly. And like we've, we touched on earlier, like if the more options for people, the better it is for everyone. Mm. More people will play. The, the, the community will grow. The hobby will just get bigger and bigger. Yeah. Yep. And and, just, yeah. And with the, with the community getting bigger and the hobby getting bigger, um, I think looking at the most recent reveals we've seen of the Dark Angels and what we've seen from Black Templars is just going to continue that. They're just starting to... Um, you were talking about when was when was that point when they started to release more stuff? Uh, it looks like they're doing another bump yeah. with, with their stuff because they've arguably added units to a Dark Angel Codex that didn't need it, right? They've added these companion models, which look fantastic, but the Codex never needed them. You've got Blade Guard, you've got the Deathwing Knights, you've got a bunch of combat armies. All of a sudden, and it probably makes sense law-wise, I don't know enough, all of a sudden there's these cool as extra, extra elite units coming out called Companions, which only means good news for not only other Space Marine chapters because they're bringing back some heresy units to 40K. So think about the smaller chapters like Salamanders that have nothing except two characters, I think. Think about them potentially getting some um, unique units or the Imperial Fists. But I think it's good for every other faction that's out there as well because... They're, they're just, they seem to be doing lots of work on their sculpts. Yeah, even like the fact this, you know, the last two weeks, whenever the last three calls, they released two codexes and two star collecting boxes at the same time. So that was something that generally they'll do, you know, that'll be over two weeks in the past. So, sign they could be ramping up more releases. I know the Old World release uh, coming out has a, is a huge drop. So I think it's one of the biggest releases I've ever seen um, on release day. So, they're not slowing down. Promising things in the hobby. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very exciting time. I know, I know we say it. We probably say it every every podcast. It's just well, we're going to keep saying it every podcast. If you don't, if you don't like hearing it, then <laughs> yeah. it's a very exciting time must. to be in there. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a, I know, one of the other podcasts I listen to. They yeah say it's pretty much like the best time to be in the hobby. It's at a renaissance time. Effectively, it's just you're seeing so many games. And as I said earlier, like you know, with 3D printing, we're going to see more independent games launching. And little things like that, which you're going to try, and people are going to be putting stuff out there. And you know, a lot of them aren't going to be great. They're not going to be around long, but it's cool to see. And then you'll see bigger companies using some of those rules and techniques, or hiring those people to do their stuff. So totally, yeah, it becomes a it becomes a more competitive market, which makes things better for every, all the all the people playing. And yeah, especially and I mean, recently as well, Games Workshop's kind of been. It used to be a bit closer in who was kind of in the number one, two, three spots in terms of minigame sales kind of globally. Like, 
We had X-Wing for a long time, uh, which is a pre-painted models that were globally doing really well. We used to see warmer hordes um, that used to go really well in Australia, at least that's kind of completely died off. Um, so Games Workshop really has kind of taken over the market fully in Australia. So we'll see as some other games kind of start launching what, how that changes. But Yeah. Where is, uh, what's coming up in, in the future for your hobby? Uh, I mean, as I said, I'll probably be jumped around a lot, as I always do. So I always yeah. plan to kind of focus and knock out things, but usually not the case. Um, but yeah, I'll probably look at getting some stuff up for Ark. It's a few months away now, so I'll um, look at an, an army closer. Usually my kind of idea with armies, I usually try and plan out about a month before an event because I know otherwise I'm just going to change. If I <laughs> try and start an army now for a tournament in two or three months, I'll end up getting distracted and changing. So I usually try and do about a month out because that's as far as my attention span goes. So, so this would be a freshly painted army for you? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Uh, I usually don't run the same army tournaments just because, again, I just like doing different things. It's fun to see new projects. Um, usually once I've kind of played an army, I just like to see what else I can do in that. So um, it helps working at game stores because, you know, as we've said, it can be expensive. But uh, benefit of working at game stores, you usually get things a little bit cheaper. So yeah. <laughs> that helps. You also get uh, models for basically 10% cheaper from General Games Chanside Park. Straight up true. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Um, but yeah, that, and I'm yeah definitely keen on some old Hammer. Um, the old world stuff looks great. Um, I had some Bretonians from back in the day, so I'll be keen to get them. Um, so that'll be a big thing, and I'm sure hopefully we'll see some events in that rolling in. So. Yeah. Yeah, and then also as I mentioned kind of earlier as well, looking at doing some bus painting with the crimson brush and try and test myself there and kind of really challenge my painting. So we'll see how that goes. So you're, you're painting one up for this this GanCon, are you? Uh, so I won't be doing one for this GanCon, um, but for next year's I want to try and enter a few different things and go up there and they've got a whole painting studio you can kind of sit at while you're up there. So try and do that and hang out with some painters who are much better than me and uh, <laughs> hopefully steal some of their ideas. So yeah. 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 Awesome. That's very exciting because. What's CanCon this year? February? Uh, January. So it's Australia. I think it's Australia Day weekend. It's oh, wow. about two weeks away. So wow. <laughs> quite soon. So That's coming up quick. Yeah. We got a, as I said, I got a few friends going. So I know a few of them are quite new to the hobby. Uh, so probably give them a hand paying up their armies as well. Um, so, yeah. Fantastic. It's uh, a, lot, a lot to look forward to this year. Be a busy one. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Especially with the new store happening yeah, as well. Yeah. So I guess I'll also be painting um, for the store point of view. I'll be doing up a bunch of whole tables. So... Uh, we've got some the Knights of Dice, um, their Neo Japan train, I think it's called, um, which is really cool kind of MDF train. Uh, unfortunately, those guys actually don't exist anymore, but they had some awesome train. Um, so I'll be doing up like a whole Neo Japan kind of board, which will be fun, um, and just a few other things. So we'll see what else we can plan out. You mentioned the uh, the Hobby Pie yep. earlier, which I'd never heard that term before. Yeah, so it's an old Games Workshop thing. Um, so as I was saying earlier, Games Workshop do a lot of training and stuff, so you learn they have a lot of kind of insider terms they have the ten commandments for any old people who work at games workshop they'll be very familiar with those which are pretty much how you kind of serve customers yeah um but yeah they used to have the hobby pie which is kind of the six parts of the hobby i'll have to have it somewhere i'm sure but um it's kind of just yeah the way people engage with the hobby so whether it's you know building models painting models just reading the law um or just playing games so it's kind of different ways it's a really cool thing i remember back in the day when i worked there we used to do was kind of you draw up your pie like how how you'd spend your time. So out of a hundred, you know, that was what I was going to ask you next. It's a really cool thing. I'll have to, I'll find it. I'll shoot it through to you guys. Cause it's a really fun kind of way to view. We used to do where your hobby is currently and where you kind of want it to be. Um, so like currently for me, I probably do a lot more law stuff just cause when I like often I'll read the novels and do that cause it's all I got kind of free time for. Um, so that probably takes up a bigger part of my pie than ideally I'd like. 
um, and I spend a lot less time gaming than I like. So currently my gaming percentage might be 5%. I'd love to get up to, you know, 20% kind of thing. So Yeah. And do you, have you found, like, with all your years across the hobby, have you found that you've always preferred one one part of the hobby? Uh, not really. I think in my head, especially initially, I was definitely more into the gaming. Um, I came from a kind of playing card games and that. I was more a gamer. And as I've kind of done more painting and also got better at it and seen how much is out there, I've definitely swung across a lot more to painting. Like having guys just like yourselves who just paint up awesome stuff, it's just great for inspiration. So I'll see that, you know, I'll be on Instagram scrolling through, see one of Justin's new models and like that little bit of inspiration be like, man, I should jump on and finish that army or do something like try something new and end up, you know, loving painting a lot more than I used to. And also just due to time, you know, with family constraints and that, I might have an hour at night and, you know, it's not enough time to go play a game, but I can jump on and do a bit of painting. So yeah. it's definitely, yeah, painting's become a lot larger area of my hobby pie. So Yeah, fantastic. And I guess we see that every day with, with Justin's stream. Like a lot of people come across his work and they're like, you know, inspired to pick up the brush and and try test themselves a bit with their painting. Yeah, and, you know, I've said it like four times now, but like the one thing, you know, one message I'd love to leave is if you can like inspire others, like it's only a good thing. You know, if the hobby grows, you're going to see more people, you're going to make more friends. You're going to see, you know, that next, that little kid who's that stunning painter, he could be the next pro painter who's making videos and inspiring people. Yeah. Um, and that's just, if you can, you know, leave that kind of legacy on a hobby, even if you only do this hobby for six months, if you can inspire someone else and get him into it, it's awesome. And like so many of my friends I've met through the hobby, um, and it's just, yeah, if you can, you know, do that, it's just a great thing. So, Fantastic. It's a pretty good note to... Uh, yeah, to, to wrap up to on. To wrap up on. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that brings us to the end of episode eight. Uh, a massive thank you to Glenn uh, from General Games Churnside Park. And uh, thank you to everyone watching and listening across the, the streaming services. Uh, is there anything else we need to catch people up on before we head off? Uh, undoubtedly, they will see multiple posts involving both BFG and and general games, so they will get they'll get updates with that. Uh, I don't think there is. We've got a guest for episode nine already lined up. Yep, which is two weeks time. Exciting. Uh, I think I think we've crossed all the the paths we've needed to. Yeah, for this one, it's been fantastic. I think. I've probably got a million more questions for you, Glenn, but uh, we might have to get you back for another one on that part. Mate, I will happily come back. It's been awesome. Fantastic. All right, guys, we'll catch you next time. See Thanks you very much. Thanks.